If you have a Bible in front of you, go to Acts 5. We'll get there eventually this morning. Uh, if you need a good Bible, then please grab one off Guest Connections after the service. And if, if you're new to reading the Bible or unsure of where to begin, I would encourage you to start in the book of John. Get to know who Jesus is. Today we're in week six of an eight-week series that we've been calling Bold, where we've been looking at the life of Peter. If you'll remember, Peter's this man who was prone to, to, to be quick with his words and not always quick to listen. Uh, he had a tendency to stick his foot in his mouth and was a blue-collar fisherman in business with his brother. But then Jesus calls Peter and his brother Andrew and others to drop everything and follow him. Jesus speaks this vision into Peter's life that he will be the leader of this movement. And my hope is that uh, through this series that we're identifying with Peter, that we're not lifting him up as the hero, so to speak, because he was not flawless. Jesus was without sin. And so Jesus is our hero. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is the one we are growing to be more like with our words and our attitudes and our actions. In the story of Peter, much like other biblical characters, what we see is that what the Lord can do in our lives if we are fully surrendered to Him. Jesus didn't pick the professionally trained to be His disciples. The leader of the disciples was a hardworking, uh, loving family man who didn't have this incredible resume full of accomplishments and accolades, and yet Jesus saw what He would become. And, and over the last five weeks, we've seen some of that transformation take, take place. And I pray that as you look back at your own life, whether it's been six months, a year, five years, ten years, you can see the transformation work that He has done in you, the grace that uh, He's been given, uh, He's given to you, the provision from God, the strength from His Spirit, the putting off of our old selves, our old nature, and putting on of who we are in Christ, putting on the things of God. And I also pray that through this series that we are reminded that God is still in the business of taking ordinary people and using them in extraordinary, extraordinary ways. Taking imperfect, broken, sinful people like you and me, saving us through the cross, through Christ, and then sending us on mission in this world. His plan to reach and change the world has always been through His people, the church. That's you and me. It's not just the pastors, not just the missionaries of the world, but all His people. No matter your vocation, your marital status, your age, your background, if you're a follower of Jesus, He has commissioned you, just like Peter, to not simply follow Him, but to fish for people, to be a witness for Jesus through your way of life, telling others who Jesus is and what He has done and making disciples of Jesus who will not just keep it to themselves, but will tell others about Him as well. One major characteristic to do all of that, to actually follow Jesus and, make fisher, and, and become fishers of men, is courage. It's an essential element to a growing, walking by faith, not by sight, devoted, full of love, uh, full of obedience type of faith. An essential element is courage. The last couple of weeks we've talked about bold words, we've talked about bold faith, but today I want to look at bold courage. It's one of the things I pull from Acts 5. There's plenty of other things to look at, but this is the one I think that we need to look at today in the season that we are in as a church from Acts 5. Um, I remember as a kid, uh, we'd go up to the pool at Eureka, Eureka College and they'd have family swim nights or I'd ride my bike up there and meet some friends up there. We'd hang out, swim for a couple hours, you know, like the days when you got together with your friends and a device or a screen wasn't required for friendship and relationship. It was, it was a simpler time. At, at, the, at the time, the, the college had a low dive and a high dive. The low dive was a blast. 
I mean, cannonballs, can openers, I could never dive. I could never get my body rotated around enough to dive very well. But, but it was still a blast. I mean, just like, okay, what biggest splash we could make, all these kind of things. The high dive seemed like an eight-story building up there. I don't remember how old I was or when, uh, when it was exactly, but I remember climbing the ladder to this top of the high dive, thinking this ladder goes on forever. And then slowly kind of walking out to the end of the diving board, looking down, trying not to bounce the board at all, and thinking, I hope I live through this. I hope I don't die. I know I can't turn around. I hope I don't have this massive red mark on my pale white body after I (laughs) jump off this high dive. I remember trying to muster up the most amount of courage I could come up with as a little kid. I'm sure I was being coaxed on by the people underneath me, by the lifeguard. I'm sure I was being coaxed on or yelled at by the guy behind me just waiting for me to finally get off the board. And then I remember jumping off, uh, feet first, arms tucked in, just really courageous move right there. Uh, There's like classic pencil, which was pretty accurate description for my skinny, scrawny little body. Um, Hitting the water, popping back up, and going, that was awesome. Thinking to myself, I want to do that again and again and again. That was sweet. That was sweet. I was, why, why was I so nervous about that? Why, why did it take me so much courage to actually get off the board and jump finally? Maybe you've got a similar story from your childhood as it relates to courage. Courage in that first babysitting job, let's say, or driving for the first time on your own, driving maybe in a big city, or, or for the first time on the job when you were the one in charge and your boss or the one who had trained you was no longer there and you were the one. Well, courage is not just needed for those times where we jump off high dives and try new things, but courage is essential in following Christ. If we are truly going to follow Him as Lord and Savior, then courage is crucial for us to grow in. Think of it this way. It takes bold courage to talk to that family member who doesn't know, or who doesn't know Jesus, humbly share your own faith, who Christ is, what He's done in your life, ask questions, getting to know their story, getting to know where they're at with Christ. It takes bold courage to tell that acquaintance, that friend, I I can't go out tonight. That won't lead me to a place that honors God. It takes bold courage to leave a job and and go pursue another one that the Lord is leading you toward. It takes bold courage to say, we're not going to live like everyone else. We're going to choose to live on less money and give away more and store up more treasure in heaven. It takes bold courage to withstand the friend or family member who is just antagonistic to your faith, picks apart what you believe, and literally it feels like this is the devil's advocate in your life. It takes bold courage to step into a ministry that you haven't served in before and then just go for it. And I thank you to the many cross-pointers who are doing that right now, who are stepping into a new ministry, and I love your courage. It takes bold courage to stand in front of your church family and share what Jesus has done in your life and get baptized. And and if you're at that point and you want to get baptized, then let us know and we'll set a date for baptisms. It takes bold courage to say, you know, I can't do this life on my own anymore. I wasn't made for isolation. And you move past simply attending on a Sunday and you move into a 3D community group. It takes courage to actually show up to that group. If you remember, if you've been in a group that first time you walked in that door, and you thought, I really hope we don't cry and hold hands, which you don't, okay? Well, maybe some of you cry. I don't know. But, but that's not just, all right? Anyways, it takes bold courage to walk in, walk in that door and then actually share with somebody, hey, here's, here, here's how I need you to pray for me. Here's something going on in my life. And 
I need you to pray for me about that. It takes bold courage as a student in grade school, middle school, high school to stand up for what you believe in. Stand firm in your faith when the crowd wants to pull you in another direction, but you know the Lord is leading you in this direction. It takes bold courage to say, Lord, nothing else matters to me but your glory. So my trust is in you and you alone. My life is not my own. I know I've been bought with a price. So Lord, take me, use me, change me so my life might bring you honor. Those kind of prayers are not safe prayers. Uh, They are uh, prayers dominated in the area of courage. Courage is critical to grow in as a follower of Jesus. And too often our tendency is toward fear, to play it safe, to avoid risks because we might fail, to avoid new things because, well, they're new and we don't like new and we often resist change even if the Lord is the one asking us to change. I don't think we talk enough about courage in the American church. I think our tendency is we think we just want to play it safe. We just want to avoid making any mistakes. We don't want to risk too much. We want to avoid change. How can we avoid change in the next 10 years? These these are our 10-year goals sometimes we make in the back of our minds. How can we avoid changing anything around here? We try not to make any mistakes, and we think, how can we maintain rather than how can we innovate and be creative and take risks and simply be a church that courageously expands the kingdom of God, loves Jesus, loves people extravagantly, and makes a radical impact on a region and a world? I actually believe the longer we are followers of Jesus, the more some of us tend to be less and less bold or courageous in our faith. We just kind of hunker down and just hope Jesus returns pretty soon. But that doesn't have to be the case, nor should it be. Instead, the more we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the more we see Him for who He truly is, the more that should grow us in courage, where we are willing to follow Him no matter what, even if it takes even if it means taking risks and stepping outside of our comfort zones and jumping off high dives because we might just say at the end of that jump, at the end of that faith step, that risk that we took, we might just say, that was sweet. That was awesome. I want to do that again and again and again. Now, I know in my own life, I don't always get it right when it comes to courage. I most definitely haven't arrived in this area. I believe even in the season I'm in as a pastor, The Lord is at work in my heart in this area. Last week, we looked at the bold faith of Peter in the early church, and it was a good and God-timed challenge for me. And uh, I know and I pray for us as a church and the vision that he's called us to. And I think today is a good follow-up to that truth of a a bold faith because you can see uh, bold faith and bold courage on display in Acts 3, 4, and 5. I mean, they go hand in hand, not just in Peter's life. Think of other stories in the Bible dealing with faith and courage and how they go hand in hand. Abraham left his home to to journey to a place he wasn't even sure existed. Moses overcame this fear of public speaking, this insecurity about his voice and his speaking, overcame it to a place where he led the Israelites to to freedom. Joshua faced down the doubters who who feared that the promised land was going uh, to be too difficult to conquer. Remember what the Lord continued to to say to Joshua. Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Gideon led an army of 300 to defeat an army of thousands. Daniel and Esther displayed tremendous courage in the face of death. 
Nehemiah overcame the opposition to rebuild, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and did it in 52 days. Jesus, our great hero, faced the agony and the pain and the loneliness and the broken fellowship of the cross, courageously knowing that that was the will of the Father, and praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, yet not as I will, but as you will. But then on Easter morning, on the third day, rising again and overcoming sin and death. Paul wrote much of the New Testament, not when he was in a chase lounge by the pool, but when he was in chains, in prison, or under house arrest. Think of Peter. This is what we know about Peter. This man who denied Jesus following his arrest, denied him three times over, acted like he didn't even know his best friend. You go from that point, which we looked at three weeks ago, you fast forward to the end of Peter's life. Now, Scripture doesn't record the death of Peter, but all records of early church history indicate that Peter was crucified. One historical account says that, uh, that before Peter was crucified, he was forced to watch the crucifixion of his own wife. And as he watched her being led to her death, Peter called to her by name, saying, Remember the Lord. When it was Peter's turn to die, he pleaded to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to die as his Lord had died. And thus history says he was nailed to a cross head downward. That's bold courage on display. Radical transformation has taken place from the day when, when this guy, Simon Bar-Jonah, was given the name Peter, the, the nickname of, of the rock, by Jesus. And this hardworking fisherman drops his goals for, for something far greater, uh, far more eternal worth. Peter is no longer his own Lord, but Jesus is now Lord. And clearly, in the account of his death, his devotion to Jesus has only increased to the point that even in his death, he wants to honor his Savior in the name of Jesus. So just like last week, we saw how the bold faith of Peter and John, it wasn't just didn't remain with them, but it overflowed to this young, growing church in Acts. Today, we see the bold courage, not just of Peter, but of all the apostles as they face persecution head on. So here's the context. The early church is growing. Thousands are coming to Jesus getting baptized, this movement of Christ, the name of Jesus, the religious leaders thought that they had killed it at Calvary. But now, these guys that had followed Jesus, they keep talking about how He rose from the dead, and people are turning from their sin and believing in Jesus as both Lord and Messiah. The religious leaders can't seem to, to get this movement, this name of Jesus, they can't seem to get it to go away. We saw some of their attempts in last week's message in Acts 4. This early, this early church, their love for God and others is just overflowing. It's leading to them to be over-the-top dedicated to one another. At the end of chapter 2, end of chapter 4, you see some descriptions of what that community was about. Community, preaching, saving, ministering, telling, healing, transforming, repenting, sharing. It's all happening. And the proud religious don't like it one bit. Then Acts 5 opens up with this story about life in the early church. This couple, Ananias and Sapphira, sold a piece of, piece of property but kept back part of the money for themselves. At the end of chapter 4, we, we, re we read about how as a way of life, this early church was sacrificial and generous in the way that they gave to one another, in the way that they met needs, loving each other that way. But this couple, they sold their land but then lied to God saying, 
Oh, no, no, this is, this is all of it. Here, here, here's all the money we made off the land. And as a result of their lying, not of their stinginess, but of their deceit, their lack of integrity, they literally both drop dead. You can read the account later. Verse 11 says, As a result, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I would say so. This is one of those stories in Scripture that remind us of how serious God takes sin. He knew that if a spirit of deceitfulness got within this young, growing church, it would hurt its ability to, uh, to reach more. It would hinder the, the community that was happening, and ultimately, it would dishonor and bring reproach upon the name of Jesus, this, this name, this person that they supposedly worshipped and followed. So this early church is reminded to fear God. In other words, Psalm 33, 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the, world, of, of the world stand in awe of Him. To fear God means that we stand in awe of Him. To be so overcome by His greatness, purity, beauty, power, that we live our lives in light of that knowledge. That our God, even though He was that great, even though He's that great, He sent His Son, who is that great as well, to die a criminal's death on a cross so that we could receive salvation by grace through faith alone, not something we've worked for, not something we can brag about. That's good news. Living in light of that good news leads to a different way of life. And then continuing in verse 12, telling the story of what's happening in the, in the early church and in the region at the time, verse 12 begins with this. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns and around, around Jerusalem and bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So the Holy Spirit is enabling and empowering Peter in such a way where simply getting near Peter is bringing about healing in people's lives. Miracles are taking place. There's this increased reverence for Christ and His church. And you read in verse 14, more and more people believed in the Lord and were added to their number. The name of Jesus in this good news continues to spread, which once again is causing the anger to spread and increase in the religious leaders who had crucified Jesus, who had killed Jesus. And the rest of the chapter, we'll, we'll read of their persecution of the apostles who were the leaders of this early church. And I believe one characteristic we see in the apostles here in the rest of this chapter is bold courage. Starts off, verse 17, Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Jealous for what? They were jealous for glory. The attention was on the apostles and on the name of Jesus. And the leaders were envious of the glory that this supposed dead man, Jesus, was receiving. Their own power and influence was quickly going away. People were beginning instead to revere the apostles instead of them. And any time we're operating out of a jealous or envious heart, then we know we're not operating out of love. Because 1 Corinthians 13.4 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. 
So as a result of their jealousy, verse 18, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. So they attempt to humiliate the apostles very publicly. And that plan is going to backfire on them. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Notice what the angel doesn't say there. He doesn't say, go hide hide away and play it safe. Or, you know, if you're going to keep talking about Jesus, you're going to die. You're going to get killed. He doesn't say that. He says, go take a stand. Get back into the public arena. Go right into the temple and continue to tell people about this new life found in Christ and Christ alone. Verse 21, At daybreak they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the apostles did not find them there. So they went, uh, the officers did not find them there, so they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. I love when you read stories in Scripture that remind us that God will do and can do whatever He wants to do. Maybe this has happened to you. The doctor comes back and says, I don't really know what happened, but I can tell you what happened. God just stepped in. And some things are unexplainable besides saying it was the Lord. It was His power and His healing, His work. Verse 25, then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. You can just picture how angry the leaders are getting at this point. They told them in chapter 4 to stop talking about Jesus. The apostles didn't. They publicly put the apostles in in jail, a big demonstration of their supposed power as religious leaders. Then they go and try to find them. Prior to doing that, they invite all the, the full council, the full assembly, and then they go try to find them, and they can't. And where do they find them? Back in public, in the temple, talking about Jesus again. Bold courage of the apostles on display, the bold ignorance and arrogance of the leaders on display. Verse 26, at that, the the captain went went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. If this were a movie, the theologian Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers would be playing. He's not a theologian. Uh, would be playing in the background prior to Peter speaking again for the apostles, and it would go something like this. Well, I won't back down. It'd be really nasally. <laughs> no, I won't back down. You could stand me up at the gates of hell, but I won't back down. You like that? Wrong. Gonna stand my ground, won't be turned around. You can sing along anytime. And I'll keep this world from dragging me down. Gonna stand my ground, and I won't back down. Be like that. All right. The chorus. Now you sing the chorus. It's that, that next note. It's kind of 
I could look sound prepubescent if I try to hit that next one. So I'm not going to. But you just, you just get this. This is going in the background, all right? We gave you strict orders not to teach in His name, yet you filled Jerusalem with, his, with your teaching or determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Verse 29, bold courage. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. Peter and the apostles are courageously standing firm and preaching the resurrected Jesus again to the religious leaders. Same message that was in Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4, Acts 5. Same gospel message that we preach today. Looking at the original text, basically the religious leaders were angry to the point of losing control. They didn't just desire to put the apostles to death, but they had resolved to execute them. That was their determined next step. Verse 34, But a Pharisee named Gamaliel. Now, now Saul, who would later become Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a student of this rabbi. So, this rabbi, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Thutis uh, appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the, of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So this rabbi lists two examples from Jewish history where movements began but failed after the death of the leader of those movements. As he said, their origin was of human origin. It was human effort because they were simply men. And when they died, their followers scattered because movement ends. But this one is different. Leader gets killed Leader rises again on the third day. And now thousands are beginning to follow what the religious leaders would say, the supposed dead man Jesus, but the risen Savior, the risen Messiah, the risen Lord. Now they're following and thousands are believing in his name and who he was, that he was not simply a man in the flesh, but he was a God-man. Fully God, fully man. If this is from God, you will not be able to stop them. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. Which, by the way, is a losing battle. I mean, I don't, I don't need to tell you that. I mean, on a side note, but an important one, some of you, I believe, are trying to fight against God's grace in your life right now. He is at work drawing you to Himself, extending you grace and love, and you're fighting against that. It could be failing to surrender some area in your life 
running from him in some, some area. I just want to remind you that of the truth that in the end, surrendering to God is much easier and eternally rewarded than fighting against the God of the universe, which brings judgment. Don't fight against God's grace. He's revealing it. He's at work in you if you and I are open to it. The fact that we are still breathing today, God's grace. Don't fight against the grace of God. And so the leaders heed this rabbi's advice. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Because they think, well, this is from human origin. This is done now. Because the rabbi that we respect said, if it's from human origin, it's going to fail. Good. Now we know it's going to fail just like these others. Flogging consisted of, of a person being whipped with leather strips onto bare skin. Sometimes those strips were embedded with sharp objects so it would tear the skin. So in Acts 4.18, they simply commanded them to stop talking about Jesus this time. They added flogging. So we see their persecution of the apostles escalate. Now at this point, what would our sin nature, what would our weak flesh, what would mine at least be tempted to do? We'd be tempted to play it safe, not risk anything, just kind of keep a low profile, tone down the boldness because that flogging was brutal. But to follow Jesus with bold courage says otherwise. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Their joy outweighs the pain of their flogging. They, pers- they, they faced persecution head on with bold courage. They're literally living out the truth found in James 1, 2 through 4, which says this, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So, for, so perseverance finish, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. In this moment of persecution, perseverance is being produced. And as a result, their faith is maturing. And the Lord is continuing to work, continuing to do the work that He has begun in them all the way back on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. When he called them, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now that work is just continuing. And despite the persecution, they continue to spread the good news of Jesus. So where did this bold courage of the apostles come from? It was anchored in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Their identity was in Christ. It was as if the apostles were saying with their actions, with their words even, to the people that killed Jesus, being so bold with their words in front of them, they're saying, in a sense, what else are you going to do? Are you going to take our life? That's okay. As Paul said in Philippians 1.21, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Either way, we get Jesus, so we're good. The apostles had seen Jesus rise from the dead. The resurrection led to this bold courage, knowing who Jesus is. The Holy Spirit was given to them in Acts 2, and so they have the, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead living in them. Resurrection and Holy Spirit, the two truths that led to this bold courage. And those are the same two facts that should lead to our bold courage as well. We know the resurrection took place. We know Jesus didn't remain in the tomb and that he is alive. And we, as believers in Christ, also have the Holy Spirit dwelling in in us, the promise of the Holy Spirit 
1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So because of the resurrection, because of the Holy Spirit, because of their identity in Christ, we can and are called to live life with bold courage. So what does this look like? Well, in America, for the most part, we don't face getting physically beat for our faith or getting thrown in jail. But many Christians around the world do. And I'd ask that you check out the website, onewiththem, onewiththem.com, onewiththem.com, to learn about the persecuted church, to learn about how, how we can pray for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ around the world because Eureka is not the center of the world. I know you know this, but it's not. And so we join our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church. We pray with them as they face the persecution that we read about here in the book of Acts. To live with bold courage is not just for those times of persecution, though. Just like to live with bold faith, it will impact our way of life. So it'll be the case with bold courage. Imagine a church full of believers who are full of courage. That the people lived in light of the, of the resurrection truth and in knowledge that the Spirit of, of God was at work in their life and in their heart. Such people would not be afraid of taking risks for the Lord or moving into the unknown or trying something new. They would be a people who would walk by faith, boldly stand firm that nothing could move them from the message that they were proclaiming or the mission that they were being sent on by their Savior, by their Lord. And here's what I know from Acts 5, that our bold courage is not to be lived out by ourselves. The apostles stood together in Acts 5. They took that flogging together. They, they spoke those bold words, even though Peter was the spokesperson. They, they did that together. It wasn't just Peter. And as believers in Christ, we are family, so we stand and we follow Jesus together. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. We serve a Savior who is risen and reigning. We have a Father in heaven that calls you and I His son or daughter. So it is for His glory that we live with bold courage, bold loving courage for the women here on Mother's Day. As we close up, I want to pray over you, specifically in some areas as it relates to uh, bold courage. So with that thought, let's close in prayer. Father, Thank you that you gave us your son and through him we are able to know you to receive salvation. Thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us, to lead, empower, strengthen our lives. We want to live with bold courage. Teach us to know how to do that this week in our workplace, in our school, in our family, with our friends, Lord, in our own homes. As a church, Right now, we want to agree together and pray for the women here this morning. Lord, we pray you'd give bold courage to those facing the pain, hurt, and frustration of infertility or the struggle to get pregnant. Be their strength. Remind them of their true identity in Christ, that it's not as a mother, but it's as a child of God in Christ, a daughter of a perfect heavenly Father who is King. Lord, we pray you'd give bold courage to those that today is a hard, tough, brutal day as they are reminded of children that they have lost or of their own moms who have passed away. Be their comfort. Remind them that they are not alone. Holy Spirit, be their great counselor and their great peace. 
Lord, we pray you'd give bold courage to the mom who has a child that is hard toward the things of God right now or is running from you in some way. Be their hope. Help them to pray boldly for that child. Lord, we pray you'd give bold courage to the mom in here who is in the throes of diapers and toddlers and not much sleep and is this demands on her 24-7. Be her endurance and joy. Lord, we pray you give bold courage to those who are waiting and walking through the adoption process. Be their peace and their advocate. We know you love the fatherless, so Lord, make a way possible for those adoptions to happen in your timing and in your will. Lord, we pray you give bold courage to those who are grandmothers in here. Remind them of their roles as a disciple-maker. Help them to give their wisdom to the generations that follow them. Give them abundant wisdom. Lord, we pray you'd give bold courage to all the moms here this morning. No matter the stage of life their child or children are in, remind them of how deeply you love them as women and their vital role in the family and in passing on faith to the next generation. Help them to be like the apostles in, in Acts 5 that would day after day never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news of who you are that you are Lord, you are Savior, you are life, you are salvation, you are joy, you are love, you are the source of life. Lord, we pray that we would raise a generation that is bold and not timid, who believes you for big things, walks by faith and not by sight. It takes risks for the sake of your kingdom, for your name, for your glory. Help the older generations here live Help us to live in such a way that our way of life would serve as a testimony, as an example of bold courage to the generations that follow us. May it be for your glory. May it be for your name. May it be by, by, by your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.